Here we go. We are in week four of our October series called To Life, and we are in the final two weeks of this series, and we've been talking about the life that we have in Christ and what it really means to be a Christ follower, and we, we proclaim that we have this treasure that we have found, and there's a way that we live, and there's things that we do that maybe some of it doesn't make sense, but there's, it's a way that we believe that leads us to life, and so um, we, we see in the in the written accounts of Jesus' life where they're calling us to this and saying, hey, you need to know about this. You need to like God came here and he was with us and he showed us who he was. And so John wrote this to us and he wrote this, this, this big account of Jesus' life. And it says in John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have told you these things that, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus was always leading us to him and the life that we have in him. And so then it leads to this way that we live. And so we hear phrases like this that we find in Philippians 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, that's an interesting way to live. Like, we really just kind of live for our interests first, and then if we have time, I'll think about someone else. If I have time, I'll call my mom. If I have time, I'll, you know, do something different. And so we're naturally selfish, and we don't necessarily believe that that actually will lead me to life. And so Jesus came along and, and began to help us see that there is a problem and that, that he had to come for this. And so this is what we've been talking about throughout the, the first couple of weeks. And this is on our podcast. You want to go back and listen to this. But, uh, but we found out, I think it was last week, we talked about how Jesus came to reveal a problem in us and solve it. And solve it. He showed us that we are actually not good. We think we're good. We think we're kind. But as we mentioned last week, we're standing in line for croissants and the person takes the last one and we're angry at them. That might have been me, right? And so like there, our actions are bad. And so Jesus revealed this. He showed us that it's impossible. It's impossible to be good without him, without him rescuing us. And so Jesus came and we, and we see him speaking. He gave this huge message. This is found in Matthew 5. And he eventually said this, he said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he was speaking to this audience that knew who these teachers were, and they were trying to act like they were incredibly good, and they could keep all the rules. And this was an impossible standard, an impossible standard. And Jesus has said right before this, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He knew that we couldn't do it. And what's fascinating about that message, he went and exposed those teachers and those Pharisees who were trying to act like they were so righteous and holy and just showed how the fallacy of it. And he showed us that it was impossible. He was revealing our hearts that the anger, we, we're told not to murder, but he says, anger, you've murdered somebody in your heart. And it, and it, it sounds crazy to hear, but it's just brilliant because every little sin, every little thing wants to become the biggest version possible. 
and he shows us our hearts. But he proclaimed to them how he was going to fulfill this because he knew that we couldn't. But what they didn't know was how he was going to do that and what that meant for them. They didn't know how he was going to fulfill it. And then he came and did that because the, the requirement for uh, the wrong that we've done is death. To walk away from God and to walk towards sin is to walk away from life and to bring death in our world. And we, we see that. We see the brokenness that we have caused by all of our wrongdoing. We're living it in full. And right now, we, we're seeing it worldwide. And so Jesus came to take that penalty for us. And that's what happened. When he, when he was crucified, he was killed. We see this. This is at the very end of this crucifixion found in John 19. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, it had been predicted that he would do this, he says, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there, and they put a, a, a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And he died. Why did he say it is finished? Because he came to take our sin upon himself, to be a sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven. And so you want a God who cares about justice. You want a God that has a line that says this is what truth is because it's, it's really loving. You want a God who can, who can say all these things because he's the only one that can fulfill it. And, and there are people that would try to accuse him of things or accuse others of these wrongdoings. And he would say, well, if you're without sin, you throw the stone at them. You condemn them. And the problem is every one of us has done wrong. And so we love to condemn others. But that just excuses us. He was the only one who was able to forgive and cancel sin. He was the only one able to live a perfect life, and he did that. And so it was because of him that he pulls us back into relationship. The point of all of this, the, the, from the beginning until when Christ came, God was pointing us to a relationship with him. And we view it now we do as church. And so we walked through this graphic last week. We'll pull this up again. And so, you know, since Christ has risen, the church started, that he started. And so we've been doing this for thousands of years. We have all these different denominations and ways to, to worship God and, and cultures and ethnic, you know, perspectives, wherever it may be, worldwide. And so we typically kind of view God through, through view Jesus through his church. It's on the left side, you see his church. And that's typically how we've you know, chosen to view Christ. Well, you may have never even gone to church, but you have views about Jesus because of his church or what you think it is through media or through other things like that. And so whatever your experience of that is, whether you grew up in a church or you saw it from afar, you typically will have a, do you have a good view of Jesus or a bad view of Jesus? Well, then if it was good, great. If it's bad, you might walk away or just you know, some of you may have walked away because of that. But that's upside down of what Jesus showed us. From the beginning, God was showing us that he is about a relationship. And so we should really start with Jesus. And so how we encounter him doesn't have to start in a church, but it can. That's one big way that we, that we find him. We begin, you sit in a church and we introduce you to Christ. That should be how it goes. I'm not trying to get you to 
to be in a certain denomination or certain thing. I want to show you who Jesus is. Is he the Son of God? Did he die? Did he rise green? That's our first questions of faith because if he didn't, then none of anything else matters. None of his teaching matters. But if he did rise from the grave, it means everything. It means everything. And you can find Jesus. You can encounter him through others, through a friend, roommate, your family, a co-worker. And it's, you can keep that up. And through our encounter of Jesus, is he the Son of God? Do we commit to him? And what we find in Jesus' teaching is that he was leading us into a relationship with him, into a commitment that he is our God, and we are walking away from our self-ruled life into his life. And we do that because that's why we, we found his freedom. We, we've sung that this morning, that we found our forgiveness in him. He is alive in us. We have found something that can really fulfill us. And so, do we believe in Jesus or not? And so, then if you do, then you surrender. You surrender to him and begin to follow him. And that's a journey, by the way. It's not like, hey, yes or no? No, there's a journey towards that answer of yes. There's no timeline there. But no, then you reject Christ and you can walk, walk away. You go your own way. You find something else to fulfill your life. And one of the reasons you should think about this is because you cannot be neutral. You need something to be your identity to fulfill you. And maybe you're here today because you've tried all those other things and it's not fulfilling you. Only We believe only Jesus can and that he is the only way to the Father. And so then we commit. And it's out of our commitment to him that we commit to a church family. And that's what we're going to walk through today. But this is where we've been. And the journey is to pursue Christ. And you can be part of a church and attending and, 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 and engage in activities and do things, and we welcome you into that. But, you know, coming to a Sunday service isn't the first thing. It's, there's many ways. It's why we do connection events. It's why we throw parties. It's why we love the city. It's one of the reasons. We want to love people as Christ has loved us. And there are many ways to start pursuing Him. And it's out of our commitment to Him that we make a commitment to one another. And so, today, we're going to walk through um, these two points. These two, actually, we'll begin this. So, out of our commitment, we make a commitment to church, <laughs> to one another, and we make a personal commitment. It's always personal. And there are two sides of what that looks like. And I want to begin to walk us through what that looks like. And because of this, because we typically view Jesus through his church, through a denomination or whatever that might be. I'm going to start there today to say, what does that look like? What is that? And then next week, I'll talk about how we walk through our personal faith and how we engage in a relationship with God, because it is beautiful. And there are things that we do that don't always make sense, that are not about ourselves and for others. But Jesus was showing us that is always the way to life. And we take those steps because of who Jesus is, as we know that he's leading us to life. So, let's walk through that today. Now, now we can move on from the graphic. <laughs> um, but I want to I lead us now and, and just walk us through 
an incredible passage in Ephesians. And I'll walk us through a couple different places. But we saw the early church take off. Jesus rose from the grave. He was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. And then he ascended into heaven. And then he sent us out to go. To go and to love and to make disciples. And, he, and Jesus predicted his church. The church is not a building. The church is a people. It's a gathering. The actual word church that we say was originally about the word gathering. When Jesus said it, it was about a people. It's always been about relationship. He's calling you to himself and to one another. And so when we engage in an environment like this, we are here because of, of God, our commitment to Him and to one another. And you were made for this. This is not just something that, that works well, some system that God tried out or whatever over time. No, this is who you've been made to be. Who you've been made to be. So you were made, as you see here, to experience the goodness and the beauty of God. And in His early church... There were letters being written. We have one from the apostle. We have several from the apostle. We call him the apostle Paul. And he was just passionate about starting churches all over the Greco-Roman world. And he was persecuted for it. The government would get after him and he would be in jail. And he wrote these letters while he was in prison. And they're just full of life and the words of God that, that help us understand Christ's teachings. And so when we commit to one another, when we pursue that, it's part of how we experience the goodness and the beauty of God. And we need to keep this in mind that He's calling us back to the beauty, to life. He made us for. So just listen to these words to the early churches. This is found in Ephesians 1. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, you have not, I have not stopped thanking God for you. There's this life that we see. He goes, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Because He is the fullness that we seek. He is the beauty. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible, incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Like that power that raised Jesus from the dead is now come to live in us and work in us. Now, he says, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, his people, his gathering. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Part 
we see this. We, we, part of who we are is to, be, is to belong, to be part of who God is, and to experience His fullness. He's not calling you to do rituals and do these things to hope you're okay. No, what we've discovered over the past several weeks is that Jesus came because He's the only one that can make us be okay. And, and when we follow Christ, that is our starting point, that we are forgiven and clean and we can go right to Him. And now He's leading us on this path away from the brokenness in our hearts and towards Him and to life. But part of that is being His body. You are now in a family. You were made to belong. You were made to belong, to be with others. And you are fulfilled when you experience that. And that's the second thing I want to show you. I'm going to walk through five things today, by the way. So if you're keeping score, I'm on a timer, and you'll know we're close when we're done at five. But the second point is you were made to belong. You can put that up. There we go. You were made to belong. You are not made to live life on your own. We're, we're taught you're your own island, your own person, and you guys are incredible, and you are able to accomplish a lot of things. But you will never be fulfilled unless you experience being part of God's family. Now, I know you're scared of this because there are some weird church families out there. I get it. And you might be thinking, this is weird right now. I'm not Sorry. <laughs> So I'm not pointing you to a church. My whole desire for being here is not that you become a church member. I want to point you to Christ. But don't miss this. Part of who you're made to be is to be connected to others. We, we experience that in our world, the, the connectedness to one another. Like That's why you love maybe going to concerts and, or, or a game. There's this beauty of being together and being unified, and we get these glimpses of it. So further on in Ephesians, in the next chapter, verses 19 through 22, it says this. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. And he's talking about this, this, this beauty of how we didn't belong to God, and now we are, now we are His. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, says, you are no longer stranger foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. And listen to the purpose in this. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, for God. He has joined us together. And there's a beauty in that. You are made to belong. And so it is out of our commitment to Christ that we understand that we are pursuing Him and His beauty and His fullness that we have and that we belong. And our, our, we have a membership class when we commit to this church family. We call it belong because it's this statement of saying, I'm a follower of Christ and now this is my church family. And so you are made to belong. But then the next step is we then submit to one another. Because of our relationship with Christ, we commit. We actually submit to one another. It's a fascinating word. It's used in many different ways. If you're a wrestling fan, there's a, a place where you submit. 
all right. I give up. Like, <laughs> you are the one that I follow. And it's a crazy term to think about in relationships. But we commit to one another out of reverence for Christ because of what He has done. And so we see that in Ephesians 5.21. He says that. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what's amazing is God submitted to us. What's so beautiful about Christ, everything that we do is out of His example. It's everything we do, He has done already. We love because He's loved us. But He made Himself lower than us, like a slave. We beat Him. We stripped his skin off of him in torture and then killed him on a cross out of anger. He made himself lower than us. He submitted to us for the joy that would come from taking our sin upon himself so that you and I could be free and forgiven. And that's why we joyfully submit to him. And then we joyfully submit to one another. Now, this is, this is key, and I've done this before, but I just realized I pulled up the wrong. I was like, man, I'm missing some of my important things. I thought I wrote this down. I'm just looking at these slides. That's it. Um, here we go. Now it's going to be twice as long. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's actually probably better if I do it that way. It would be shorter. But we submit to one another. And I, this is so key because this isn't easy. Because, you know, you've heard the thing like, you know, my job would be great if it, you know, if it wasn't for all the people. <laughs> We've, we have established the point that our hearts stray from God that we are easily angered. We're not really kind, even though we like to act like we are. And we have all these things, and we hurt one another. We've been hurt. And so it's important that we understand this. And in the Scriptures, they acknowledge this. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, it says, Paul is speaking, he, was, he had talked about his imprisonment, and he says, Therefore I, a prisoner... For serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of, of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. We need that reminder over and over again. He says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Listen, we, to, to be with one another means that we experience our faults. We need to offer grace and extend that to one another. Make every effort, he says, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. And this is such a great thing. He's always calling us to unity, to be unified. He says, binding yourselves together with peace. And this is where we can experience the beauty of Christ. And it is only through submitting to one another, not only, but one of the ways we experience God is through committing to one another because it's going to bring us and help us experience the beauty. But we have to make an effort towards this. He says, For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope in the, for the future. 
There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, which we're going to celebrate today. One God and Father of us all who is overall in our and living through all. I love that. I love that. We are called to be unified together. We have one God. We are called and unified. And because of what Jesus has done for us, he has brought us in unity to him. And we still live in our sinful bodies and our sinful nature. And God has promised to one day do away with that all. But there is a purpose in us being in that now. We don't fully understand it, but we see it. We see him utilizing all these things to bring us together and to help us grow, to walk away from our hurts, our pains, and towards Him. And if you are willing to allow it, He will use all things to bring you closer to Him. But that means interacting with one another. And here's what's fascinating. It, it, it's everything that you want. It involves being known. It means that at some point, as you take steps, and you know this, you will be known. And so there's two things with being known. One is it's everything that you want. It's everything you want. Being known, being community, like, like having that friendship. But it's also everything that you're scared of. Now, if you're really an extrovert, you're like, that's impossible. But you have something that you're hiding. And this doesn't mean that you have to have a million friends and all these different things. I, it's the beauty of Christ's body. And I wish we had time to go into that, but he's uniquely made all of us. Introverts, extroverts, they're behind the scenes. They're, they're, they're roles that we get to serve, be, be part of his body that, that no one ever sees. And there's some that are up front, and they're all equal. And it's that's what the beauty is. It's we are unified. We are one together. But if you do this, eventually you will be known. And the darker side of yourself, the part that you're really good at hiding, will eventually come out. And the same is true for me. The same is true for me. And we've been called to one another. I, I watched this play out as a pastor where something will cause you to be in tension and you'll want to walk away. Your own hurts from your past and your shortcomings. You'll feel shame and it feels easier to walk away. But don't walk away. That's the point. The point of we follow Christ, we have this experience of shame where we like, I've done all these things, but it's in that moment we experience forgiveness. And I just want to encourage you, we commit to one another and, and, we, and we do it because, not because we want to, but because Christ is, has said that we should do this. He's told us to and we are obedient and we trust his love and his beauty and we work things out. But your own hurts, your background, your history, the things that, you are, that are coming up inside of you, it might mean you need to go to counseling and take steps or meet with one another. Like I do those things. I've done everything I'm going to suggest. I've I've done all of them or I'm doing them now. Or you mess up. You get angry. You blow it. You say something to somebody or do something. or And it's like, well, I'll just walk away. And maybe you've done that. And, it, and this is an opportunity to say, hey, this is about being known. 
we love, go to one another, and we forgive. This is what's so great about being in a nuclear family. Maybe not great depending on your, your, how you grew up, but in my family, we hurt one another. Like, we're living here. My kids, if I hurt them, like, I can't go anywhere. They can't go anywhere. When my wife, Erin, and I get into an argument, and, it, and it, like you feel that divide, we know we got to work it out. Why? Because we're committed to one another. I say something very strong to my kids, and it's not very nice. I've got to initiate and ask for their forgiveness. There's a beauty in being committed. There's a beauty in what God has called us to. And our world does not know how to do this. We've lost this. We see it and feel it right now. We don't know how to reconcile. And we desperately need God's body, His people, to show this. And so that means that we don't know how to do it here together as well. And I'm still learning how to do this. And I have people in my life that I've committed to that continue to help me see this. And I ask them to show me because I'm learning that this is going to lead me to beauty. And so you may have a disagreement with someone else just out of a natural relationships. I want to encourage you to be committed to one another. Why? Because of what Christ has done, because it leads us to beauty, because we want to fight for, make every effort for unity to be committed to one another. If you commit here, eventually you, you can step into the role of leadership and there are standards we hold you to. That's another reason where, we, where you begin to be known. We say you shouldn't live this way or do this thing because of what Christ has shown us. But we do that out of a commitment to one another. What do we do if we're not unified? We walk through that. There are, there are standards that we commit to because of what Christ has shown us. And then we seek to have charity. It's a word that's lost in our vocabulary. Love in all things. We seek unity. There are things that we agree upon that are unified together as a church family. And then in disputable things, we work hard to seek unity together. I'm not going to make you happy I'm broken. I mess up. The same is true the other way. But God is using all of this to sharpen us, to help us to grow. And I want to encourage you not to be afraid. The same is true of a marriage, of a roommate relationship, friends, whatever it may be. We submit to one another, not because we're trying to be in a denomination, whatever that may be. Those things happen because they've agreed upon this being what we see to be unified together in that specific church family. We do this out of relationship with Christ and one another. Now, if you're not a Christ follower and you don't have to commit to all these things and you're free to be part of what we do, and we encourage you to seek that out and to ask questions. But don't be afraid of that because you are made to belong. And when we do this, there's beauty on the other side. When my wife and I work through communication things, we find a, a better part of ourselves and a beauty on the other side of that that we never thought we could experience. And our roots go down deep and we grow. And we've learned to see the beauty of what Christ is calling us to.
Now, I'm running out of time, so real quickly, the fourth thing is this, is you are gifted to live this way. This is what's so cool, is that God isn't just saying, hey, work it out together. He, he, every single one of you is a Christ follower. He gives you gifts to be part of his body. I briefly mentioned this. And I don't believe you'll ever experience the fullness of Christ until you serve and do something in some way to be part of his family. And so it says this in Ephesians 4. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Do you see this life that's there this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There is a goal of unity, of beauty, when we commit. I don't have time to go into that, but you've been gifted. And you're like, well, I don't know what it is. Well, take a step and serve. You would not believe like, what will happen. And we see what God has put in people's hearts as they begin to serve, and we put them in places there. We have people that start serving in the kids' team. Now, this is not normal, but they, they, they unlock something in them, and they change their career. They are working in finance and accounting, and they begin to work for a charter school in Brooklyn. They just, it unlocks something in her and others. It's amazing how God shows you these gifts, and they are everything from being in front of people or to being behind the scenes. It's amazing. And the number five is this. The last point is beauty is the result. Beauty is the result. God has a purpose in this. Ephesians 4, 11 says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to think, to try to trick us or lies or clever and sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Well, that's hard to do. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body. Who's that? The church, the gathering. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. Experiencing this, Experiencing this is part of the treasure that we have found in Christ. And I pray that as a church family that we do this. There's a unity here together today. We are served by those who are gifted today in many ways. There's like 25 people that have helped make us be here and be welcomed Today, serving and loving one another. We have kids' teachers right now engaging our kids in purposeful materials. We have people who have prepared those materials. We have coffee. We have a baptism set up. How beautiful is that? And then God's doing a work in your own hearts. And I just want to echo as we end. What Paul said in the middle of this, the letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, he says this, When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. 
Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and your work in us. God, I pray that we would trust you with these words, walk away from our self-ruled life and to commit to you and to one another. I pray that we would be unified as a church family, that we wouldn't be afraid of one another, but know that the hard things are the very things that you want to use to lead us to beauty. And that you are not afraid of those hard things. You are not afraid of our dark hearts. You're the only one that can lean in unafraid. Where we shy away from one another, it's where you long to live. And I pray that we would seek you, seek you with that. You didn't come to reject us, but you made a way for us to be accepted. We thank you, Father, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.